0: Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio.
1: Welcome into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. I'm Thomas Schultz, joined alongside my co-host Brad Klein. We're here all the way until the 10 o'clock hour and Brad I think we got to start off with the biggest news in Syracuse sports that would be the 2021 recruiting class Syracuse right now the 46th ranked team per 24-7 composite rankings are they that good is it real or is it foos gold what do you say Brad well right now
2: I'm the number I'm not excited about is not 46 it's it's two two spots ahead of Alabama on that list which is it's just pretty cool to say so Syracuse fans, safe for the moment. Right now, in some sense, the football program is slightly better than Alabama. All right, moment's over because they're not. But Alabama, they're they're going to be better than Syracuse eventually. Right now, they're only ahead of them because of quantity, not quality. The Orange have 10 commits already. Now, they're all three stars. But 10 is not a number that you should just shrug your shoulders at. That is a
1: solid number and a solid start for Syracuse football in 2021 yeah no I think so I think what I really like about this class so far is how defensive heavy it needs to be and it is seven of the ten guys that are currently committed are on the defensive side of the ball right now 24/7 sports says that's six but Derek McDonald the tight end will play defensive in or outside linebacker I think they're really needing there's an adjustment that needs to take place for Tony White's defense because it's a new defense the 3 five. There's going to be guys that they need to bring in, specifically changing your defensive line to be bigger, your linebackers to be bigger, and just having a larger quantity of defensive backs. Right now, they've got the front seven guys that are in place, but they've only got one secondary player, and I think that's a big issue going forward that needs to still be resolved.
2: The secondary is certainly an emphasis, obviously, in the 3-3-5, but I can't blame Tony White and the Syracuse recruiters here. You're focusing, basically, the focus right now is on defensive tackle. You're bringing in Jalen Moss, the three star from Fairpoint, New York. You're bringing in Terry Lockett, the three star from Springfield Central, Massachusetts. So they're both defensive tackles. They're both big already. Six foot five, 260 for Moss, six foot one, 255 for Lockett. And I like that size. I like the size coming in as a true freshman. It's a good start. And in the 3-3-5, you're going to need some size to get after the quarterback on a shorthanded front.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think especially last year, with a team that gave up over 200 yards rushing on the ground per game, no matter who your new defensive coordinator is, you got to say, all right, got to attack the defensive line in the front seven especially hard, because frankly, we couldn't stop anybody last year. That's the biggest issue. <laughs> I know we talked about offensive line and quarterback were big points of discussion. The biggest problem was the run defense, and I think this class is doing a great job of really shoring up that issue. What I'm concerned about is that right now they're higher ranked than they were last year when it ended. But it's, like you mentioned, Brad, they have 10 commits, whereas these other schools only have four. Alabama has five. The the, the quality isn't any better than in the past, and I don't really see that changing anytime soon in the future, and I think that's kind of a detriment because of the seasons that Syracuse has had recently, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So how, if you can answer this, Brad, how, how does this class maintain where it is right now and not fall down as other teams gain more recruits?
2: Well, nothing's really new here. Yeah, of all three-star commits, you haven't had a four-star if your Syracuse since 2018 with Trill Williams. So right now the Orange are just looking for that diamond in the rock, the, the gem that no one else was recruiting, i.e. Andre Sisco, a three-star commit, and now look at him. He's destined for the NFL. That's kind of the model. There are basically two ways to improve your, your college football team, okay? You can recruit under-recruited guys, hope that someone comes up and is huge for you, and propels your program to the top. That's one way. Another way is hiring a new coach, a sexy coach, that young guys want to play for. Now, the Orange right now, it looked like Dino Babers was going to be that guy. After the 10-3 season in 2018, we all thought, okay, that's the turning point. Dino, Dungy, they are the founding fathers of the new era of Syracuse football. And then the Orange took a huge step back last year with DeVito under center, and it's not Totally fair to blame it on DeVito. The last year was an underwhelming year, mostly because of the offensive line. You weren't even bowl eligible. And the 2021 recruiting class is a reflection of that failure last season.
1: Yeah, I I think the biggest issue, not the biggest issue, but one of the biggest issues, and you mentioned it, Brad, is that DeVito, while he may not have been the biggest problem, he didn't help, right? Like he still had an underwhelming year. And right now this recruiting class still doesn't have that 2021 quarterback every year. You kind of want to get that guy and it doesn't have it yet. Riley Leonard, we thought could have been that guy, but he committed to Duke and David Cutcliffe, who to be fair, David Cutcliffe's a hard coach to pass up on. He of course coached uh, Daniel Jones, Eli Manning. I mean the Manning brothers. So, is there is there a new guy, or is there a guy that may be coming onto the roster fairly soon that you really like to take over for DeVito once he graduates? Or is that still a really big gaping hole, not only in the future roster, but in this recruiting class? It's a big question mark. I wouldn't call it a hole. Dylan Markowitz
2: is a three-star pro-style quarterback coming into the class of 2020. I actually like him uh, from McKinney, Texas. A lot of people... Are not as high on him as as I am. I look most Power Five quarterbacks, especially uh, most Power Five recruits, especially quarterbacks. They're recruited in their junior seasons, maybe even earlier. And Markowitz didn't even take over the starting quarterback job in McKinney until his senior year. So you can see how he would be a little under recruited. He already said that he has a massive chip on his shoulder, which kind of reminded me of Eric Dungey, which I love. They're one thousand percent different players. Markowitz pro style, Dungy more of a dual threat, but I just like that mentality. And the guy just produced in Texas, a Class 5A in Texas, completed 72 percent of his passes, 4,200 yards, 45 touchdowns, and just six interceptions. You want your quarterback to be smart. You want your quarterback to take care of the football first and foremost. And I love that. I mean, he's raw. Let's not be. Uh, let's not beat around the bush too much. He's raw and. In terms of talent, you can't compare Markowitz to to Riley Leonard, but I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for Syracuse under center, even though Leonard committed to a conference conference rival.
1: Yeah, I think Dylan Markowitz is a guy who is going under the radar, as you mentioned, Brad. He's about six foot five, two hundred fifteen pounds, so he's got that prototypical size that you want from any quarterback, but especially a guy who's going to stand in the pocket and overlook your offensive line, scanning the secondary. I think something that kind of gets overlooked is just the level of competition that Dylan Markowitz went up against in high school because there's no state and there's no level of talent better than what's available in Texas and frankly Dylan Markowitz playing in high school he's not going to face anybody better anywhere else in the country so yes he is raw yes he's not the most highly touted recruit but maybe he has this maturity or this sense of you know what I've seen something not as good as ACC football, but as good as it's going to get in high school and can elevate that, because right now, there's no real backup. I mean, sure, Clayton Welch this year, but if DeVito goes down, not just this year, but in the future, Dylan Markowitz seems like the guy who's expected to step up for the future of this program, and I think that's really telling for just how much Gino Babers and his staff trust in Markowitz. And Markowitz played with a
2: handful of, players going to the D1 level as well. But Thomas, for me, I I like Markowitz. Don't get me wrong. But I I have to acknowledge the fact that this is a big failure for Syracuse, not getting Riley Leonard after Syracuse went out and said publicly, he's our number one priority. Syracuse was first to recruit him, and that's a relationship that oftentimes results in a commitment unless a bigger, badder program rolls on, Syracuse isn't used to getting snubbed by an equal in Duke after they recruited the guy first. That's supposed to resonate. That's supposed to mean something. And, yeah, Riley Leonard, it's not like he's from Rochester like Isaiah Stewart and the Orange weren't able to scoop him up, but it's, a, it's disappointing. This is a failure that Syracuse is going to have to live with. And if not Markowitz, the bitter truth is they're going to have to look at the transfer portal eventually. And that might not be the worst thing in the world. We see some strong, strong quarterbacks come out of the transfer portal, especially now more than ever. But Riley Leonard was, would have been the crown jewel of this, of this recruiting class. He's a four-star. Would have been the first four-star of the class.
1: Yeah, outside of Duke and Syracuse, he also had offers from Nebraska and Vanderbilt, a couple of other Power 5 programs. I think, like you mentioned, Brad, yeah, David Cutcliffe, he's he's a quarterback guru. We all know that. But Dino Babers, his his big draw and appeal is how this offense runs and how much fun it is for quarterbacks to be a part of this Syracuse air raid deep ball passing offense that Babers has established. And I think when you can't get your number one target, especially when you lose out to a program like Duke, if it's a Florida State, Clemson, sure, whatever. Duke? I mean, they're not even the best team in their state. They might not even be – they're probably third. I mean, I think that's really – the recruiting is underwhelming, I think this this season. Even though it looks good so far, I'm not sure how we'll think about it down the line. So that'll be really interesting to keep kind of tabs on and just see how this team and this program and this recruiting class adjusts. But when we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk to Kevin Belby, the GM of Bayheim's Army. They've just added a seventh guy to that team and they're not even done yet. Stick with us. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. I'm Thomas Schultz joined alongside Brad Klein and we welcome in our ho- or excuse me, our guest Kevin Belby. Kevin Belby is the GM of Bayheims RB- Army. Kevin, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing all right, man. Stuck inside like everybody else, but uh, we're hanging in there.
1: Yeah, it's uh I think a lot of people are kind of in the same position right now. Um, so let's talk about Bayheims Army and the roster, we you guys just recently finished assembling it this morning. My first question is, what are your thoughts on the approach to the tournament? And now that it's going to be at one location due to the pandemic, how is that going to play out?
0: We'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm just, to be honest, I'm excited that there's just going to be basketball again. You know, I was down actually at the ACC tournament in Greensboro for Uh, Syracuse basketball's best game of the season against North Carolina when everything got canceled just hours after that. And since then, like everybody else, I've been waiting um, for, for something uh, to to happen. And, you know, when we're inching towards sports returning, so I'm excited that the tournament is still going to go forward. I know that they uh, they're a really well-run operation. They're very professional And I knew that they were going to be as aggressive as possible about trying to make this happen while also, you know, making a commitment that they weren't going to hold the tournament if there wasn't a way to keep the players safe. So they think they have a really good safety plan in place. I think they've got a good safety plan in place. Uh, So now it's time to, uh, to, to play some hoops and I'm excited about it. You know, I'm, I'm a basketball fan first and foremost, and I've always thought that, Hey, what's better than, you know, I'm a Yankees fan. I, but I'm not watching 162 games. So to have a $2 million basketball tournament in the middle of the summer when sports are pretty quiet, like, I just think it's, uh, it's such a good idea. And I think it's going to come back at uh, at just the right time this summer when we all need a little bit of sports in our lives.
2: Kevin is going to be frequent testing for the coronavirus of all the players. The field has cut down from 64 to 24 teams. And as Thomas mentioned, one location Gotta ask. I'm in Dhaka Community College. That was going to be one of the host sites for one of the regions. Any chance the one site is is Central New York?
0: You know, uh, those are the big brain decisions that I'm not uh, I'm not determining. <laughs> thankfully, um, I, I, it would be great if it was, but to be honest, it doesn't make a big difference because they've they've said there's going to be no fans. So uh, wherever we play, again, I'm just excited that we're going to play. And we've, we're already having conversations about bringing the tournament back to OCC at SRC Arena next year in front of fans. So that's important to me, and hopefully we're able to do that with a sold-out crowd as defending TBT champions.
1: As Brad mentioned, it's going to be just 24 teams this summer. Do you have any insight on how those teams are going to be selected?
0: I, th- It's going to be a combination of how good the team is, how committed they are at the same time to – the quarantine rules and, and all the testing that's going to happen. And I do think that they're going to likely lean on teams who have proven themselves in the tournament in the past, you know, um, they, uh, for us, this is going to be our sixth team. That's that we've entered into the tournament. Uh, so I think teams that have a bit of a, a history, they will, uh, they'll give some, you know, they'll give some favor too. But I know that with a reduced field, it's going to be a really, competitive environment and you might even see some teams teaming up to make almost super super teams. Kevin, this is a very difficult time
2: for everyone going to the grocery store is a nightmare. And how are the players feeling about not only leaving their homes, but now they're going to go five on five running the floor, going for a rebound, boxing each other out. How are they going to feel about playing during a pandemic, even with the restrictions?
0: I think, um, I think our guys, honestly, are uh, are just ready to to get off their couch and and play basketball. I know, I'm a I'm just a fan, and I, I feel that way. I went to a park here in New York City and shot a basketball against a backboard because there are no rims. Uh, <laughs> so all these guys, they feel confident that the testing procedure is in place, and we're we're not even going to see another team unless we're playing them. So we're going to be that separated and quarantined from other teams. We're going to have to test negatively three times before we even go on the court. Uh, so it's it's going to be incredibly stringent, more strict than the NBA's policies and some of the other policies that other leagues are, are contemplating or put out publicly. So I think because of all that and because of the fact that everybody's just been stuck inside there our guys are ready to play and it's honestly it's made my job a little bit easier in terms of recruiting talent uh, including recruiting players these guys a lot of them have come to me and said hey I want to play normally it's me trying to convince them to play these guys just are ready and itching to get back out on the court again spring leagues have been canceled summer leagues have been canceled some fall leagues have been po- postponed or pushed back uh, so this is going to be a big opportunity for a lot of our players since the team isn't allowed
1: to meet up before the tournament, how are these guys practicing or preparing and have they been in contact with each other? Because I know John Gillen, he said, I've talked to Malachi Richardson, Tyler Lydon. Is there a lot of back and forth between the players as they prepare for the tournament?
0: Yeah. um, You know, we've got a, we've got a group text going, and I think that we'll probably wind up having some, some virtual practices over zoom, um, which is the way that every, everybody is, uh, you know, most, Majority of America didn't know what Zoom was a couple months ago, and now majority of America is running companies off of it. So uh, I could see us doing some practices on Zoom run by uh, Ryan Blackwell, our head coach, Um, and just trying to make sure that guys are doing everything in their power on their own to be in shape, which is hard because they can't go to a gym. They can't play five-on-five up and down. And and so you might see some other teams that that don't show up in great shape. So we're really – putting the onus on our guys to work out individually every day, whatever they can, whether even if it's running or jumping on a Peloton bike or just dribbling in their driveway, trying to get in good shape, which, you know, you kind of take for granted um, now more than ever. Uh, it, it's, it's a challenge, but I think we're up for it.
2: And we have Kevin Bilby on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Again, Kevin, so much, thank you so much for taking the time. Let's shift gears here. All the Syracuse fans, they want to hear about the roster and the nostalgia and nothing is more nostalgic than Demetrius Nichols coming back to the army because he was huge for you in 2018, took last year off with an injury. How important is of an addition is he
0: this season? We missed him a lot last year and every Demetrius has played with us a couple years. Um, the years he's played with us, he's been both our leading scorer and our Right with Eric Devendorf the leader of our team. He's he's so mature, he's so professional um, that other guys look to him. He has this quiet confidence about him. Where you know off the court, he's he's not the loudest guy, but on the court, he does whatever it takes to win. You know, he, he's slapping his hands on the floor on defense, on offense, he can make a shot from anywhere, and it's just a professional level scorer. He's a guy that. I immediately, I just want to be a part of this for as long as he wants to be a part of it because of his scoring power, but also because of the intangibles that he brings. And I know that that he is someone who forces others to elevate their game. Um, and, you know, that, so that's, that's very valuable.
1: Kevin, speaking of additions, I want to talk about the newest addition to the team. Chris McCullough, obviously, you got the seventh guy far ahead of the June 15th deadline. What does McCullough mean for this team, and what does he bring to the court for you?
0: I, I think that Chris McCullough, in my honest, humble opinion, is talented enough to be an NBA starter for a lot of teams. I think he he is that talented. He is that good. Uh, you know, there's a reason why he was a first round pick in the NBA coming off an ACL tear. He uh, he can do almost anything on the basketball court. He's six foot ten, six foot eleven and can dribble, shoot, pass, rebound, defend inside, defend perimeter players. He's just the model of the way basketball is trending towards these, these really tall positionless players. Um, you know, I'd be comfortable with him bringing the ball up if, if we needed him to. Um, so he's just so talented, so versatile. We had him signed up last year and, um, I was hoping that he would play, but he had an offer to go play in the Philippines for a team where, which, you know, I totally understood it was guaranteed money. We're playing at a chance at money. And the worst team in the Philippines league signed him, the San Miguel Beermen. And uh, they were horrible. And he turned their entire team around. He averaged 35 points and 15 rebounds and led them to winning the championship. So uh, I was rooting for him to play as well as possible but maybe lose a little bit earlier because they went all the way to championship and won he wasn't able to play with us last summer uh and now we're in a position where like i said before everything else is canceled so he's available he's dying to play he's itching to play and i no hyperbole i think he he could be the most talented player in the tournament i would say i would guarantee he's in the top five uh not sure who else you know, other, other teams are still building out their rosters, but no matter who is added, I would say he's without a doubt a top five talent in the tournament this summer. And, you know, we're we're happy to and thrilled to have him part of our uh, our family and our ecosystem. And I think it says a lot about our team, but it says more about Jim Bayheim and the Syracuse basketball program that you have a guy that basically played a handful of games at SU before he got hurt, before he went in the draft, and wants to be back, wants to be part of this, wants to wear orange again. It speaks to what Jim Beheim has built and and how special this community and this fan base is of these crazy Syracuse fans You know that, that support these guys for the, the rest of their careers, even if they only put up on that SU jersey for a handful of games.
2: And, Kevin, you mentioned that Syracuse fans really only got a taste of McCullough. With his injury, he was a one-and-done player. And now you're talking about his versatility, what he brings to the team – there are a few other new additions to this team. You have Tyler Lydon playing for the first time, for example. Is
0: there a different approach to building this roster this year than last? I think so. For us, it's we want a, a really strong, good combination of a veteran core. Guys like Demetrius Nichols, Eric Dievendorf, even guys like Brandon Trish and John Gillen, who aren't 30, but to, to me are veterans of the tournament. They, they both played three or four years in the tournament And then mixing in some younger blood, Malachi, Tyler Lydon, Chris McCullough. um, I think that those guys are going to bring just a different element to our team. You know, having those fresh legs will allow us to do a lot of different things. And, you know, we have players this summer that that are just going to be able to do different things and allow us to do different things as a team than we have in the past. You know, we've had – some, some very good big men, but we've never had a big man like Tyler Lydon or a big man like Chris Matella, Guys who can run up and down the floor, can shoot threes, um, but still protect the inside. That's going to allow us to just open everything up on offense, have five guys who are 40% plus three-point shooters, um, and hopefully will make us really, really difficult to guard. All right, Kevin,
2: I have to ask, on behalf of all the Syracuse fans listening right now, and just stop me when you know where I'm going, a hypothetical situation. The NBA returns, the Portland Trailblazers don't come back because right now they're not in the postseason pick. You see where I'm going with this. I I understand. You you know it. What are the odds you give Melo another call and he comes to play for Bayheim's Army?
0: Well, the odds that I give him a call, you know, or the percentage is, is 100%. I have no all shame. Right. I, I don't mind asking. The chances he says yes, That that's a different question that I can't answer. But I have no shame. Melo uh, always has, has an open invite to uh, to playing for us. And who knows? I mean, he's a guy who, who similar to Eric Devendorf just is a hoops junkie. You know, like even if Melo wasn't getting paid all this money to play basketball, I still – would think that he'd be playing basketball in a park somewhere because that's the type of guy he is the type of relationship I think he has with the game. So maybe even, if, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but maybe even like 10 years from now, he, you know, when, when he's finally retired and doesn't have anything else going on, maybe he'll come play with us. And I still think like a 45 year old Carmelo Anthony would be pretty good in this thing. So we'll see.
1: Kevin, I really he's
0: preparing for the
2: rest of the season. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Kevin, I really like this idea of spacing out the floor, getting guys like Chris McCullough on the team and really bringing another boost to Bayheim's army. Do you think this team has what it takes or what more do you need to add to surpass other alumni teams like Carmen's crew?
0: Yeah, we're going to add another player at the beginning of next week. And um, I think, I think you'll get, get, get guys, you know, get fans excited, but you know, I, I I would go to to war with, with these seven today and certainly with, with the eighth guy we're going to add at the beginning of next week. I think that this team is definitely good enough to win it. You know, we've got multiple, multi, our, in, our entire front court is, is guys who have played in the NBA. You know, Malachi Richardson is, you know, just I think one of the best shooters on the planet. Um, guys like Dievendorf, Trish, and Gillen have already proved what they can do in this tournament. So I think we're going to be, incredibly hard to guard and by getting younger it's going to help us guard other teams defensively uh, the younger guys just have fresher legs and uh, they also remember the the zone principles a little better when we decide to play the two three so I have the utmost confidence that this team can can play with any team and um, you know I believe that we're going to win TBT 2020
2: well a new player really- coming next week do you have any insight as to who that might be
0: uh stay tuned. Uh just ah. in the details with him right now, but uh I will I'll, I'll say this he, he's a guy who played for Syracuse. How about that as a hint?
1: Good hint. Good <laughs> well, hint.
0: That's that's very
1: promising. Really exciting for us and Syracuse fans to keep an eye out for that eighth guy coming in the next week according to Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on Fizz Radio. Uh it's been a real treat. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the NCAA one-time transfer rule and what does that mean for Syracuse's incoming transfer, Alan Griffin. Stick with us. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score, 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio. I'm Thomas Schultz, joined alongside Brad Clyde on the score, 1260. We'll be here all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour. And Brad, I think this is one of the most important things in storylines to the Syracuse upcoming basketball season is what happens if Alan Griffin isn't allowed to play due to this one-time transfer waiver decision? And how does Syracuse move on from there?
2: Yeah, the NCAA is delaying its one-time transfer waiver decision until the 2021-2022 academic year. And Griffin was relying on that waiver to be eligible for this season. I don't think he's going to be eligible. I think that's the last draw. And at this point, Syracuse has lost a weapon that they were expecting to have and a crucial weapon at that, because he was probably going to start on the wing. He was probably going to be the starting small forward. So you're right. It begs the question, who is that starting small forward? And in my opinion, Syracuse is best if it's Quincy Garrier. Garrier is not the most ready player for Syracuse. If they have a game tomorrow, he wouldn't be the guy. But you, you want Garrier to step in there, into that role because that's where he was recruited as and that's his nba potential a lot of scouts think that Gary A. has a future in professional basketball in america in the nba and it's not as a small it's not as a power forward he's 6 foot 7 an aggressive guy but he's going to have to be a small forward in the nba and he's going to have to be a small forward in college too but thomas my only concern with that is his three point shooting he was a core three point shooter basically gave up last year after starting the season one for 10. And how do you replace Elijah Hughes with a guy that can't shoot?
1: Well, and I think that's a very, very big concern. And that was one of the big appeals to Alan Griffin is Alan Griffin's this guy who's coming in from Illinois, who you say, okay, he can fill into Elijah Hughes's role. And he's not the athlete that Hughes is, but man, oh man, can this kid shoot. He's a above 40% shooter last year for the Illini. That's huge for Syracuse's spacing to go along with Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard. Brett, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love Quincy Guerrier. I think he's the most physical dominant guy on this roster, but he's got to be able to shoot the three ball. And Jim Beheim said the same thing. I remember one press conference after a game last season, somebody asked Beheim. You think Gary's ever going to be able to make a three? And Faham said, yeah, just not sure if it's going to be in my lifetime. And it's like, this is a guy who coming into to college and really in practice, apparently he's done well at shooting the three ball, but it just hasn't clicked in game. And I think a reason for that is maybe a little bit of a case of the freshman yips, maybe gaining confidence, being able to shoot in front of 30,000 fans. But I think Syracuse is in a really big hole if Quincy Guerrier cannot at least become a 30, 33% shooter from deep? Because I don't know if these freshmen, maybe Kadari Richmond comes in, maybe Woody Newton comes in. I don't know of anybody else who can really step up in this role. And uh, Newton's more of a four anyway, and Richmond,
2: in my opinion, is a little undersized to play the wing of the zone, and I don't know if he's ready offensively to be a starting small forward. And I don't know if Garrier is either. That's the issue. And you're right. He has to step up his three-point shooting. The funny thing is, I think Garrier would be the starting center if he was two, three inches taller. He's I six agree. foot seven. He's physical. And he gets on the boards. Like, no, tomorrow averaged seven points, five rebounds last year in very limited time. And he was that spark plug off the bench that Syracuse had been looking for, that six man that can give you a jolt. But how do you step that up? How are you more than just a six-man? Well, it's consistency. It's endurance. And by the way, Tom Thomas, that's one of the things that we have to focus on here. It's not just his three-point shooting. Garrier would burn out of games. And whether he fouled out of games, that would happen too. But sometimes he would just get tired. He would just get too tired. And you can't start a guy that's not going to be able to play 20 minutes unless his name is Dewan Coleman, and you promised him on the recruiting trail four years prior, okay? That's a separate issue. But Gary A. has to build up his endurance. And you mentioned the freshman yips. I think that is part of it. But the freshman yips go further than confidence. It also goes into conditioning. And he had, he was not used to playing as many games as he did last season in a single year and he wasn't used to playing significant minutes against big co- big time competition like you see in the ECC. So for Garrier to be a starting small forward, he has to be a completely different player. But who do you think?
1: Who do you think it, if it's not A, who's it going to be? So I have kind of an unorthodox view on this, and I think Jim Beheim will very much disagree with my opinion. I think okay. I think Quincy Garrier If, and this is a big if, if he can improve his three-point shooting, yes, he should absolutely be the starter. Because, one, he won't have that foul trouble at the three that he does down low. The problem is, if he doesn't improve his three-point shooting and he continues to shoot 12.5% from deep like he did last season, you can't possibly put him outside. So here is my solution, Brad. And let me know if you wholeheartedly disagree or if I just came up with the, the solution for Syracuse basketball. Buddy Bayheim at the three. Buddy Bayham at the three, you allow yourself to space. Yes, he knows the two or three zone, but his athleticism was a problem last year, and there was a clear, and he mentioned it, Joe Girard mentioned it, guys were getting into the lane at the top of the zone and just passing into the free throw line and getting their offense moving from that regard because one of the biggest weaknesses of the zone, if you get it at the free throw line and pass it around, that really hurts the zone. Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim allowed guys to do that. Now, if you put Buddy maybe at a wing, maybe he's not as much of a weakness on the zone. You can hide him a little bit more. And since he knows the zone as well as he does, I mean, maybe he's always thought, I'm going to be at the top of the zone. But hey, he might have to switch. Now, the problem with that, Kadari Richmond's got to step up and play the top of the zone. So there's a lot of intangibles that need to go into place if Quincy Guerrier cannot shoot better then Buddy Bayham's going to have to move to the three, which improves Syracuse's spacing. And frankly, I don't know how much it hurts them at the top of the zone if, and another big if, if Kadari Richmond can step in and be adequate as a defender. And I think he can. He's got good athleticism, much better than Buddy Boeheim or Joe Girard, and he's a lanky, quick-twitched guy. And I think he could also potentially shoot better than Quincy Garriott. I don't think there's an easy solution for this Syracuse team, but that's my opinion. What do you think about that, Brad?
2: It's a, it's a huge if. I agree with you there. And and in a recent piece uh, from our very own Tim Leonard on the Fizz, he's, he projected the Orange lineup and projected Kadari Richmond to only play five minutes per game. He doesn't know what Kadari Richmond's going to be, neither do we. But let's just assume that Kadari Richmond's going to be an impact player in the rotation for two reasons. One, Alan Griffin will probably, likely, definitely not be on this team this year. Number one. Number two, Boeheim only plays freshmen significant minutes unless two things. One, their name is Carmelo Anthony, okay? And two, if the team is desperate. Joe Girard took on the starting role not because he was fantastic. He became strong and a very respectable ACC point guard, but because the alternative was Jalen Carey, and then he mysteriously got hurt, and then it had to be Joe Girard. The Orange are very shallow in the backcourt, very shallow. And that's assuming you even have Buddy Beheim at the top of the zone. They're still shallow. Because who's the backup point guard? Howard Washington transferred. Jalen Carey is gone, as is Bryson Godine. And you really need Richmond to be a strong player. Now, he's not going to be the backup point guard because he's just not a point guard. But he's probably going to have to start if Gary A can't shoot. And that's an issue because Syracuse last year, they were a three-point heavy team. Of course, Elijah Hughes was a big part of that. But I think Syracuse is best. If Gary, Assuming Guerrier Gary comes into his own and assuming he's the player that he was projected to be when he was recru- recruited from Quebec, they're best when they have Garrier at the three, Dolajai at the four, Sadibe at the five, and Beheim and Girard at the top of the zone. By the way, Beheim was not the problem at the top of the zone. If anything, it was Joe Girard. And it, not even his fault, but the guy is six foot one, 180 pounds soaking wet, and he was just learning the zone. That's his first year. Buddy Beheim has lived it his entire life. So not the issue. I,
1: yeah, I think that's been I, I understand that. and I think the thing with Joe Girard is, I think he's gonna be really good this year. I think he's in for kind of a breakout season from what we saw at the end of last year. You can't put him anywhere besides the top of the zone. He's just too small. Buddy Bayheim's six foot five. Maybe you can move him around, get somebody who's a little bit more athletic at the top. there There's some ways that you might be able to go about it. I think it's going to be interesting. Where do you think Kadari Richmond plays at the 2 or at the 3 if Quincy Garrier's shooting doesn't improve? It does make more sense for him to be at the 2, just
2: because of size. Buddy Beheim has significantly more size on him. Beheim comes in at 6'6", 195. Richmond at 6'5", 175. And that's fine. As a freshman, as a two three. that's a fine size, but... You probably want the bigger guy on the wing with more reach. We'll see. I, I still don't know what Richmond's going to be. And Guerrier is, is the X factor. He's the variable here. And we're placing such a high emphasis on his three-point shooting, Thomas. But I don't even think it's just three-point shooting. I think it's just playmaking ability. The ability to create your own shot. Because that's what Syracuse is, is lacking right now. Beyond a three-pointer, Joe Girard cannot create his own shot. We saw flashes from Buddy Beheim, but he is certainly not a shot creator at heart. Elijah Hughes was really the only shot creator last year. Dolejai, good passer, fun to watch, smart player. But does he have the ability to go ISO when you really need him to? Absolutely not. And Barama Sidibe doesn't either. So really, in my opinion, the two best isolation players could be Garrier and, heck, even Richmond. Who knows? But that's a hole that Syracuse needs to fill, maybe even more so than just who's the three. It's who's the playmaker.
1: It's going to be really interesting what Jim Beheim does this upcoming season because there's a lot of question marks that need to be answered, and I think Quincy Garrier is going to be the solution for a couple of them. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. But when we come back, we're going to get to your favorite segment of the show. We're answering your questions. It's Fizz Feedback. You're listening to The Score 12 Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. I'm Thomas Schultz alongside Brad Klein as we wrap up the show on until 10 in the morning. And we've got a little bit of Fizz feedback for you. Brad, what's our first question today?
2: Now, which position does series football need to most focus on on the recruiting trail? You have quarterback, offensive line, secondary, and wide receiver. And quarterback, Blue every other position out of the water 63 percent. the next closest was 31 thomas what do you think
1: i agree with fizz nation on this one i think the o-line is a really big concern but until you find that quarterback of your class that's going to be the most pressing issue and i think fizz feedback hit the nail on the head with that one syracuse even though brad we mentioned earlier they have dylan markowitz in the fold they need somebody in that 2021 class at least for competition well, I think the 31% percent,
2: percent, percent represents Tommy DeVito and me, because DeVito will be the first one to tell you, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. If you're not going to protect him, doesn't matter. And Syracuse showed that last season. So the, the offensive line really needs to improve. They don't have any huge prospects coming in. And who knows with the transfer portal, you have the transfer guard coming in from Florida. but so that's a huge question mark. Syracuse flopped on their last transfer with Ryan Alexander. So I had offensive line, but who knows with the Syracuse offensive line what it's going to look like. It's a huge question mark. But our second question goes with Syracuse basketball. Who should stone in small forward for Syracuse if Alan Griffin can't play? You have Quincy Garrier, Buddy Behan, Kadari Richmond. Your thoughts.
1: So Fizz Feedback and Fizz Nation disagrees with me on this one. They went 79% Quincy Garrier, and like we mentioned, Brad, yeah. I think that – should be if he can shoot the best answer and the solution. I'm very concerned about his shot not developing, and if it doesn't, Buddy Bayheim I think, has got to be the only guy that's even an option outside of Quincy Guerrier at the three, and that'll really help with Syracuse's spacing on offense. All right, the
2: final question, who's going to be the backup center behind Barama Sadibe this year? It's either Mark Dolezal, Jesse Edwards, or John Bullock, have have another category that drew 5% of the vote, but Jesse Edwards got the popular vote 51%. Thomas, what do you think?
1: I think Jesse Edwards is the right selection here. I think Merrick Dolajai, look, he's the best big on this roster, but when you have to play him at the four and as the backup center, he gets in foul trouble and he fouls out. We saw it all last season. I'm really excited to see what John Bullajock brings to the table after red shirting maybe he got a lot bigger something jesse edwards needs to do as well but i think edwards is the answer here i will be very excited to see how he developed and if he actually gained weight which has been a problem for all of syracuse's big men recently
2: it's rough because weight is the common denominator all three of those guys need to gain it mark Ball and as edwards they're all undersized to be frank I think Edwards has the most potential of those four of those three who knows who the other was, by the way the other uh, category but Mark Dolegi has only played the five out of desperation and the orange really needed him at the four especially with how shallow they are as we mentioned earlier in the broadcast but Edwards showed some raw scoring ability last season and he did show some inexperience in the middle of the zone in garbage time but I think With his wingspan, there is some big-time potential right there. And who better to learn the middle of the zone defensively than Barama Adibe? I mean, Barama Adibe has been a strong defender for Syracuse in the middle, and Jesse Edwards will take a lot from him. So I think it's Edwards.
1: Yeah, I think that's the guy who it will be. It'll be really interesting to see how he develops. I think Syracuse, maybe. Knock on wood, Brad might just have a center that it can rely on in the future but that'll just about do it for us here on fizz radio on the score 1260 for brad klein i'm thomas jones make sure to join us next saturday we're here on the score 1260 from 9 to 10 every saturday this has been fizz radio we'll see you next time